All right, welcome to Behind the Human. I am your host, Mark Champagne, and it is my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game, personally and professionally. And today I've got Jordan Harbinger on the show, who's often referred to as the Larry King of podcasting. He is a Wall Street lawyer turned interview talk show host and a communications social media dynamics expert. He has hosted a top 50 iTunes podcast for over 12 years and receives over 6 million downloads per month, making the Jordan Harbinger Show one of the most popular podcasts in the world. The show was awarded Apple's Best of 2018 and is one of the most downloaded shows of the year. Super excited to share this one with you guys. He's a legend in the space. And just before jumping in, I wanted to let you know I put a link in the show notes with double.com. This isn't a paid sponsor spot or anything like that. The reason I included the link is because Jordan talked a lot about how he recently did a detailed audit of his days and quickly realized how many of the things he could probably get help from he was doing himself and he was looking for an assistant. And literally when I hit stop, on the recording for this one, I came across the team at Double, and they're doing some really cool stuff with some modern tech, but most importantly, I think linking people up with real humans so you can form a real valuable relationship and a partner um, with your assistant. So anyway, I wanted to pass that by you guys, just given the context of the show and that segment or that part of the conversation. Enjoy this chat. Please drop a review if you're enjoying it. Share it out with your friends and have the absolute best day yet. Jordan, first question that everyone gets on this show is really around just who are you or what defines you as Jordan? What defines me? Ooh, man, I really define myself by my occupation, which is interviewer. So I'm an interviewer, but that doesn't sound very sexy. So I am open to suggestions on how to make that sound a little bit nicer. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, so, so that's what you do for sure. But I mean, yeah. I guess if, if, if you were thinking about like some of the characteristics that make you know, you up as a person and, you know, it, it just could be whatever comes up right now. It, obviously, we evolve as, as humans, and as people, but just to try to get an idea of like some of the things that, you know, or qualities, I guess it could say that really stick out for you. Um, if you were asking your wife to, you know, like, who am I? Like, how would you define me to someone else um, without a job title? Sure. Oh, man, that's tricky because I really am a workaholic in many ways. Okay. And so I do spend all my time reading about other people, creating shows about other people, interviewing other people, which is weirdly, it sounds selfless and yet it's not at all. It's all in an effort to like figure out who I am, which is sort of weird, right? That's cool though. That's an interesting perspective. Yeah. I've never really sort of had to articulate that before. So that's cool. You got that going for you, right? Nice. Nice. <laughs> So, okay, well, so then let, let's back up a bit to just, uh, you know, I know a little bit about you, obviously, and, you know, you grew up in the Detroit area and kind of moved, you're in uh, California now, but when you were, you know, growing up, like, you know, who, who was Jordan back there? Like, you know, what was going on? I mean, I think that was the time in Detroit where things were a little bit wild, things were shutting down, there's a lot of change in the city, obviously. Um, I actually just had a friend come back from there now and he's just blown away with how things are, are shifting. But, so I'm just curious, why don't you back up the audience just a little bit about you and, and how you got started in your path that you're currently on? Yeah, I was always like a nerdy kid. I was an only child and I relied a lot on, well, I didn't have much to rely on. Honestly, I, was, I didn't like school because it was really boring. And I remember feeling lonely a lot of the time. And that really sucked. That's probably the main reason why the internet was so interesting for me. And the internet didn't exist in the beginning of my childhood. You know, it kind of, well, it did, but not in like a consumer element sure. that I could continually access. I didn't get a computer with a modem until I was probably in like sixth grade. Okay. And that, that was, or maybe even seventh grade. And that was a big deal. A wealthy friend of mine got like a 386, you know, Intel computer and had Encarta on it. It was amazing. And I told my parents about it. And they were like, no, we already have a computer. But it was an Apple IIc. Because my parents were like, 
my parents were clueless when it came to technology because my dad was an auto worker where that in that tech there was it changed but he just kind of was like everything can be built by hand kind of deal yeah. you know machine press so he didn't really get it and my mom was a teacher and she's like well all the schools have apple 2e computers and we have the 2c which is the upgraded model so you're welcome and i was like yeah um these things are completely different now and my mom was like you don't need that and then luckily i don't remember exactly what happened i think she talked to the computer tech at her school and he kind of talked some sense into her and was like, yeah, these things that we use here are garbage. Your kid is not, he's at a distinct disadvantage if he doesn't have a normal computer. <laughs> you know, these, these are like learning, these are typing tutors. Every, every day that he's not using a real computer, you know, that's, that's within this decade is a massive disadvantage for him. So they got me a new computer and I got the modem going and it was like, there are other people everywhere and they're from different countries and they're smart and they're adults. And I could finally engage in conversation with people who are smarter than me that weren't like teachers at a school who didn't understand me either. And that was a massive window to the outside world that turned, and as many windows to the outside world do, that it turned into my only escape, right? So like how are you, in, I'm trying to think back in those times, I think we're around the same age. Like how are you, communicating because you know this wasn't irc um yeah. so it started off as aol and then i was like this is a bunch of kids and pedophiles you know literally <laughs> sure and i ended up actually working with the cops to catch pedophiles on aol because they were so Whoa. prevalent and really? yeah what happened this is kind of a funny side story so what happened was i had started taking martial arts and i was really into karate like in my middle school years and stuff i was super into karate and so I, when I, by the time I got to high school, um, I worked for a movie theater and that movie theater was owned by the daughter of the owner of the Detroit Red Wings, who also owned Little Caesars Pizza. Nice. And, and that guy was, he was strange, Mike Illich. He was very paranoid and it probably rightfully so. I mean, he, you know, pizza. It's crazy bread. It's the crazy, yeah, it's the crazy bread. <laughs> it also might be the fact that he's like one of the wealthiest men in America, you know, working in Detroit, which had some gangster stuff going on. And Fair. he's in the pizza industry, which may or may not have anything to do with any sort of mafia stuff. And anybody who's got a billion dollars is a target, right? Yeah, totally. So he had his own private investigation firm that like only worked for him. And the movie theater that his daughter owned was mismanaged and had a bunch of theft. So he sent his private investigator guy there to kind of hang out and watch things. And the guy was bored to tears, but he started talking with me and we started doing karate in the back hallways and stuff. And he's like, you got to meet this guy who teaches real karate. So he told me about that guy. I drove down to that place in Detroit uh, from the suburbs and they were teaching real like F, F people up karate. And I was like, what is this? So I wanted to learn it and they were like, nah, you're young. We don't need you. This is a bodyguard school. Like it's a real, you know, everyone here is like special forces. And I was like, you know, you'd get more business if you had a website. And he, he's like, you know about websites? I was like, yeah. So I started making websites and programming web apps for them to communicate. And in exchange, they taught me martial arts, but like real stuff, not like do, you know, this ancient art kata, they were like, here's how you rip someone's throat out when they're attacking you. Here's a gun disarm. And I was like, my mind was blown, dude, because I was 17 years old. And this is like, so I skipped ahead a little bit, you know, I was still like this internet nerd. And that was like this inside look at this kind of crazy world. So how did that turn into me catching pedophiles on the internet? One day they were like, hey, man, where's your girlfriend? And I was like, I don't know, you know, because I was 17 and kind of a nerd. And they're like, come on, dude, you know, you got to meet my cousin. You got to meet my little sister or whatever. So the guys at work were all older than me. They were talking about women. And I, of course, couldn't participate in the conversation much. So they start ragging on me about that. And I was like, oh, I talked to girls online, actually. And they're like, oh, what? Online? Nobody'd heard of this. It's 1997, right? Yeah. So I start showing them transcripts and they're like, oh, okay. So you're really, because I basically printed out transcripts to prove that I had game. I mean, how pathetic is that? <laughs> <laughs> so then I was like, oh, you know, um, this is, they're like, you're okay, but you're not that great. They're like, you know what you should do? You, and this is like an intelligence guy who told me this. He goes, what you should do is you should start a profile that has a girl's name. And then you can see what guys are saying to you. And then you can reverse engineer what works and what doesn't. And then you can use the stuff that works based on what's most creative. Because right now you're thinking of creative things to say. What if you get a hundred people in your inbox in one day like these girls are getting 
except for it's you and you get to see what's, what stands out. I was like, this is genius. So I created a profile as a female. It was just a really obvious feminine sounding screen name on AOL. Well, I got a bunch of, of uh, offers, you might say, but some of them were not from other teenagers. You know, like most of what I was doing, I was talking to other teenage girls. Then I would start getting things from like dudes that are 37, 39, 45. And I was like, wait, Whoa. my profile says 14 year old female or 15 year or whatever, 16 year old female, 14 year old female, something like that. And I made the age deliberately lower thinking like, okay, if I'm 14, maybe a 16, 17 year old guy will message me, but not a 40 year old. Didn't work. I got just as many 40 year olds. And I was like, what's up? Then I started saying things like, Hey, look, I'm only 14. And the guys were like, I don't care. And I was like, Oh, what losers. So I started printing off these transcripts because they were really funny. And my boss and the other intelligence guys and the special forces guys at work, they were like, yo, this is not funny. This is not funny. These are, these are criminal sexual predators. And I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, yo, these are 40 year old guys. This isn't normal. And, and I was like, well, I don't know. I mean, you're, you know, your wife is like 36 and she's cute. And he's like, it's different. You're a young man looking at a woman who's my, my wife's age. That's fine. He's like, it's not fine when it's a guy my age looking at a teenage girl. This is criminal intent. Like it's, it's different, man. And I was like, oh, because it didn't occur to me. As a teenager, you don't think about that stuff because you think, oh, well, I think 29-year-old women are good looking. So yeah. what's wrong if a 38-year-old guy? And it's like, well, you just don't think about it. You think about it when you're an adult. So these adults talked some sense into me. And I was like, oh, well, I guess I won't talk to them anymore. And they're like, how, how often does this happen? And I was like, I don't know, like 58 times a day. And they're like, what? Whoa. So that's when they were like, hang on. And they literally stopped. They were like, let's go back to the office. We were doing some exercise outside. We go back to the office and my boss had some, my former boss, he had some FBI agent buddy. And he's like, hey, can you help with this scenario? The guy's like, what's up? So we end up faxing him the transcripts and he calls and he's like, this is serious, man. What is going on here? Where are you finding these guys? Like what sort of back dark webby type place are you looking? And I was like, this is an AOL chat room called like Teen Chat 17, you know? This is not a hard to find encrypted back channel internet relay chat type of weird yeah. situation. There are a ton of kids in here that are like, hey, who likes Creed, you know, or whatever. Yeah. So this is bad. So the FBI agent starts saying, hey, if you can help me uh, with this, I can try to help you with this. Because we were like, do we call the cops? So we called the local police. They were like, I don't know, AOL servers are in Virginia, the co or the companies in Virginia, the servers are in California. Like, we don't know what to do. You know, you're, you're within our jurisdiction. None of these other guys are. So they call other police departments. And they're like, computer what? Modem? I don't understand. Because it's, again, the 90s. And these are cops who are like, used to busting weed dealers, you know, that's it, or, or other drug dealers or serious crimes that are happening, not happening online. So the FBI, he goes, look, we don't have, and this puts a date on it, we don't have a cyber crime division in Detroit. We have only, we only have that in Washington because dude, cyber crime was like bank wire fraud from Russian hackers, not even, you know, back then, I don't even know, just hacker, severe, like corporate intrusion, someone stole the plans for the new Ford Mustang off of, you know, altered <laughs> payroll. Nobody's like, so let me get this straight. There are pedos online. Like nobody could believe what they were seeing. They were just shocked and they couldn't believe it was widespread. But then when we told the Washington office, they were like, yeah, we've seen a whole lot of this and we are completely powerless. Like we do not know where to even begin with this because there was no big data. AOL wasn't like, yeah, every time someone types in a chat message, we're scanning for inappropriate. No, that was not, you know, it was yeah. like you reported the screen name and AOL would ban them. They'd get another CD the next week and start up again with a new screen name. There was no way you could stop these guys. So the FBI decides, well, we've got a perfect opportunity here because we're short staffed when it comes to this. But if you're going to, if these creepy dudes are messaging this kid and this kid has all the time in the world, as long as we're not putting him in danger, which we're really not because he's online, then he can get these guys and it's not entrapment because he's not an agent of, the, of law enforcement. So we can't really tell you what to do, but what we can do is say every time you get a transcript like this, since you know how to save it and you know how to fax it, send it over to us and then maybe we can get these people once we find probable cause, which is obviously sitting there in your AOL inbox or on these transcripts. Because otherwise it's entrapment. If they just send a female agent in here and they're like, hey, who wants to commit statutory rape? Like it's not, that's a, that doesn't work. 
so they start getting probable cause and we start netting these guys. I live, I lived at the time in Southeastern Michigan. So at the time, what I would do is I would say, yeah, I'm going on vacation. My move once I got enough trust with these creeps was and once I could really pin down their intent was I said, I'd go on vacation with my family to Toledo, which is in Ohio. It's right across the state line. Toledo PD and the FBI liaison office or whatever, they would, they would arrest the guy at like a hotel because he would go. So this is well before Chris Hansen have a seat, you yeah. know, because the local PD was like, what are we going to do? Tell him we got random evidence from the FBI and this weird, it's, it just doesn't work. There was all kinds of red tape. But with this scenario, they could say, we're working with the FBI. You just cross state lines in order to commit a sexual act with a minor. That is a federal, now it's a felony. It's a federal crime. So now it's FBI and the police can take over and boom, done, arrested. I don't know the exact legal specifics, but I remember it was very important for them to get the guy crossing state lines. Otherwise, he can just be like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. All you have is this weird transcript. I was just kidding. Bye. But once you cross state lines, you've got federal DOJ prosecutors and FBI can go in and get like AOL chat records and find out everything the guy's been saying to other people. I think, I think that was kind of a key. Okay. You know, they had like the technical know how to do this. So I did that like 30 times. Wow. In high school. Yeah. And I didn't didn't know of that. I mean, yeah, it almost makes sense. Like I, I knew about obviously, you know, your, your, your dating world and all of that and your legal world and podcasting, but all of those elements are in this, in this story, essentially, which is interesting. Like, the, yeah, the it's kind of, it, it is kind of the formation, right? And some of the things that helped me get these guys were the fact that I knew how to do all kinds of cool technical stuff. Like I could program a cell phone that I found in the garbage after repairing it. And I could program it with another phone number and I could spoof caller ID. So I would call someone from a number that wasn't really the number I was calling from. Like I could do technical things like that. And it became, I was obsessed with this comic book called The Punisher. You ever read that when you were a kid? (laughs) So I wasn't tough like The Punisher, but he had this nerdy hacker sidekick. (laughs) And the nerdy hacker sidekick could do all that stuff. And I was like, I'm like this guy. And all these security guys that I worked with, they're like The Punisher. So I had this sort of like weird teenage fantasy of like me doing all this cool tech stuff. And then those guys sort of doing the door kicking. None of that obviously ever came to fruition really, but I was able to work with the FBI and it was awesome. And I felt like I was really making a difference. On the other hand, I also knew that for every one of these guys, there were like 58 other pedos in the same damn chat room that were going free. And it became this insurmountable problem where I realized we can arrest everybody who's in here doing this. And it's just not even going to make a single dent in the problem like you really have to teach your kids to be safe online and mm-hmm. i've never forgotten that lesson you know going into the dark web the, the upside yeah. is the upside is um kids are kids are kind of dumb but they also understand when they're you know they have instincts that that are correct we just i think we've dulled those a lot it's a whole rant but that was a thing that made me feel like I can actually do something that matters. And it helped develop my strong sense of justice because I saw a lot of unfair stuff happening in the world at that age, especially working in Detroit. But I was also able to be like, hey, if not for what we did, this guy could have gone after like a a 14-year-old girl. You know, he planned on doing that and ruining her uh, innocence slash life. So we're we're doing really good work over here. It was just, it just became something that was unscalable for me. Yeah. 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 Well, how do you think, like, do you see any pair? I mean, there's obviously a direct link I'd imagine to when you went to law school. Um, but I mean, when you, if you skip forward to where you're at now and when you actually started the podcast, like way back in the, in the day, like, is, is there anything that transferred over? Are you seeing that experience? Cause that's, I mean, there's not a lot of people in the world that can, replicated experience like that like that's a that's a pretty unique story right i would love to be like well that informed my sense of justice <laughs> which informed me wanting to go to law school which did it i'm like i'm like you know what that's not true at all what the reason i went to law school is because i went to michigan the university of michigan i didn't know what to do with myself i tried to get a job at best buy um, and they were like, cool, you can build computers. I was like, yes, sir. You're, you, oh, you like customer service? Yes, sir. 
cool. Well, um, you can sell CDs with Tommy. He's only 14, you know, 15 or you know, 16 <laughs> years old. His mom drops him off at work, but he's been here for a year. So he's kind of your boss. And I was like, excuse me, I speak three languages and have a degree from the University of Michigan. And they, they were like, take this frying pan of reality to the back of your skull and sell some CDs, buddy. And I was like, I'm out. And because yeah. <laughs> nobody in college taught us how to get jobs. They were just like, oh, you're going to be great. You know, anthropology, I was, you know, I took economics and political science. So I was like, I'm educated, I'm worldly. And they were like, yo, you can sell CDs like everyone else, dummy. So <laughs> that really, that was shocking and disappointing. And so I thought, well, and this is some 90s and 80s thinking right here. I said, well, you know what the solution to this is? More education. Because if yeah. I have more bona fides or bona fides, whatever, I should know Latin, right? I'm a lawyer. <laughs> then I will have an easier time getting a job. And that's not wrong. It's just not necessarily what you want to be doing either. Because if you didn't want to be a lawyer and then you went to law school, you'll have a much easier time getting a job in a field you don't want to be in. And yeah. that's exactly what I did. And, and so you can't really fault my logic too much, I hope. But you also understand that my parents growing up poor, my dad being the first one to go to college, I think my mom the same in her family, they were like, well, college was a nice to have when we were young. Now it's a must have. So the, the nice to have is grad school. If you get that, you'll be where we were when we were starting and we had a good career advantage. And I was like, sounds like, sounds legit. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, and give yourself some credit. I mean, because I grew up in that same era. It's like that was that was the thinking, right? I mean, I came from a small mount, uh, mining town. Like dad was a miner, mom worked at the bank type thing. Tell same, like almost the same story, right? You're going to university, you're doing this, like this is the track. And, uh, you know, same, same comments. So it's hard, it's hard to see out of that when you're surrounded by it, right? And it makes sense at that well, time. It made sense at that time. And, and to be honest, there's a lot of people that think it makes sense now. And, and frankly, it, it still kind of does. I'm sort of fighting that whole thing now myself as well, though, because I see people being like, oh, man, I've got to go to school. Now, I think the whole college rack up 100 grand in debt, maybe get a job, maybe not. I think like the jig is up a little on that, right? Yeah. The, the Everybody kind of gets that the wool's been pulled over our eyes and that you're probably unemployable when you come out. Even if you have, people go, oh yeah, if you get a degree in underwater basket weaving, it's like, no, no. I mean, unless you train to be a mechanic or an engineer, you are probably useless. I don't care that you graduated summa cum laude, magna cum laude uh, in economics. Like you're good. You Can you do Microsoft Excel? Great. You're going to have the same job as somebody who, whose nephew just started working here as an intern a few months ago because you have the exact same level of skill, yeah. which is none. Right. <laughs> totally. So, so like that's kind of, that's kind of the, the, except now you're, you're starting off massively hindered because you have to put half of your income towards your debt unless you want it to stick with you for 30 years. So for me, I'm all about, I'm pulling a card from Mike Rowe, who, who's the guy from Dirty Jobs, if you don't know, where yeah. he's all like, hey, train in STEM. And like, there are a lot of jobs that they, they can't even fill them. Caterpillar can't get enough welders for their heavy yeah. equipment. And those a welder can make like 180 grand a year easily. Yeah. It's crazy. So I'm kind of on that train and people go, well, you went to college. I trained as a lawyer, which by the way is a trade. But if you don't want to do, I wish I'd looked at law school and college as a trade school and not as get some education because you'll get hired somewhere. Probably maybe, maybe not. Because if I'd looked at it as a trade school, I would have gone, well, do I want to be in the trade of an attorney? Well, maybe I should like, I don't know, make copies at a law firm for a few weeks before I figure out that this is worth investing $168,000. So yeah. I think you should always look at education as a trade. And, and frankly, since I didn't know what trade I wanted to study, I would have been better off getting some sort of getting a new job every year and finding out what I wanted for four years and then going to college, then just going to college and spray and like hope to God that I come up with something useful, which didn't really happen. Well, well, I think that's the key. And that's, I mean, it's, that's a tough, like, what's the answer to that? Right. Cause like you can't, I mean, I, now it probably feels obviously a little bit more fluid and like you're in, in a career or you're doing something that you really love and like you flow in that. Right. It's, it's clear, but like you yeah. have to go through some shit before you get to that 
right? You know, you got to experiment. You do, but like looking back 2020 hindsight, there is a way, there's a scenario, there's a universe that's not too far away, a parallel universe that's not too far away, whereby I found this radio broadcasting thing early enough to do something more with it earlier on. Because I, I look back and I go, oh, what did I want to be when I grew up? When I, I found this in the basement a few months ago, or a few years ago, when I went back home to my parents' house in Michigan, I looked and I found this bag full of resistors, a circuit board, and a bunch of other stuff. And I was like, was this from the cell phone? No, these parts are too big and too kind of antiquated. What is this? And I went, oh, this is an FM transmitter that I tried to build. <laughs> and I remember my mom, I asked my mom, and she goes, yeah, remember we went to Radio Shack and there was a guy there, he was a communications engineer and he worked at Radio Shack because that was a real job that you could have, you know, while <laughs> studying to become like a real communicate telecom engineer. And he, the guy was like, oh, you're building an FM transmitter. I was like, yeah, and I want to put a high gain antenna on it. And he's like, that's illegal. And I was like, I don't care. I want to do like a pirate radio station. And he's like, dude, you're going to get caught. FCC's no joke. You can only do it in a moving car. You can't drive. Trust me, don't do it. And I was like, but I want to broadcast all over the neighborhood. It'll be so cool. And my mom was like, eh, if it's illegal, you can't do it. There was no internet. That was the end of that. So I always wanted to talk to people over distance. Then a friend of ours got a ham radio license and was talking on the shortwave radio. And I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. And I wanted to go there all the time, except... My parents were like, it's weird that you're wanting to hang out with this old guy, so we're just going to say no, which is a very sensible thing to do as parents, by the yeah, way. Fair, fair. And, and like, I was like, can I get my own ham radio? And they were like, maybe. Uh, what do you do? And I was like, you talk to random old guys in the Soviet Union, and it's only 10 grand or whatever. And they were like, eh, no, bro. Not a chance. So that was the end of that. But then in high school, a friend of mine, Brian Grant of the Brian Grant Show, he had a radio show. And I was like, oh my God, how did you get that? And he's like, I get up at 4 a.m. I drive to the other high school in another city because it's the only one in like the whole county that has a radio program. I do my morning radio show that no one listens to. And then I drive to school here and I'm always tired and it's awesome. And I, you'll never get it because there's only one time slot. And I was like, dang, right? But I thought that was really yeah. cool. And then I went to college, same thing. Oh, you want to be at the radio station? Cool, you never get to talk. This is a school with 50,000 people. You get to like sweep. <laughs> And then when you're a senior, you can have a half an hour on Sunday night at 4 a.m. Damn it. So then I was like, you know what, to hell with this. I started doing stuff online, which is like, there wasn't, you know, broadcasting online. There wasn't even YouTube, nothing. 2003, 2000. And like I just sort of like music was starting to come online, right? I mean, there was Napster. Yeah, so yeah. I started, I started being like, I had an awesome Napster collection. I was always like in the... P2P chat rooms on IRC. I was always yeah. in IRC mod. Like I did all kinds of stuff in like chats online, but that was it. It was as close as you could get. So then fast forward, podcasting is a thing and I start doing it as soon as I can. And then I get on the radio and I'm like, wow, who knew I wanted to do this? But now 2020 hindsight, I'm like, oh my God, if I had been allowed to indulge my curiosity as a kid and my parents had done more to help me do that, because I didn't realize that you could do any of this stuff. And I, you know, it just, it didn't occur to me. And my parents, I'm not blaming them, by the way, they did an awesome job. I mean, look at, look, look how I turned look at, out. Look at you. Um, <laughs> but they did an awesome job providing for me, but it wasn't high on their list to be like, oh, our kid has an, a radio interest. Why don't we like help him figure out how to go work at a radio station? They were like, you're a son of an auto worker and a teacher. You don't get to be a celebrity who talks on the radio. Yeah. I don't, that's, you know, don't, that's not a thing. What do you and think I was thought, pushing bummer. you through all that? Because like, I mean, you got, I mean, right from building that radio in, in, in the house to up until high school, it seems like it was just tons of notes, right? But you, you just kind of kept going and going. There was obviously yeah. something back there. But you know what, though? Like, I wasn't like, I keep trying to get into radio and I keep hearing no. I was like, I tried to keep doing a ton of stuff and I keep hearing no because... I am a kid who gets told no all the time. I, it didn't occur to me that life was going to be full of no's and you should persevere. I just, re, my reality was life is full of no's and I just don't like that word. So I'm just going to do stuff and I get in trouble a lot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was part of it. Like, you know, I learned how to clone cell phones by going into a, a dumpster at a cell phone store, finding a broken cell phone, going in, talking to the guy, figuring out how to repair it, buying all the parts with stuff, you know, like earning money to buy the parts, having the guy show me how to repair it. And then I did a bunch of illegal stuff with it because I didn't care, you know, like I'm lucky I didn't go to prison for something bad. 
yeah. You know, I, I got in trouble. I use, I bought pizza for the whole school using a stolen credit card. Well, I should clarify, it wasn't stolen. I made up the number because I figured out what a credit card number looks like, which wasn't hard. <laughs> I figured it. You know, I figured out how the system works because now you put your card in, it checks with online on the internet and then it says good or bad and then it prints a receipt and you're good. Back then, they wrote the number down on a form. They gave you your pizza, your meal, whatever. Remember the, yeah, the yeah. carbon paper? <laughs> they did that. And then at the end of the week on like a Friday night, the manager and the assistant manager would sit in the back room. They would call a 1-800 number. They would stay on the phone for 90 minutes reading numbers off. And then they would get their merchant account credited and then the bank would wire them the money. That was how it worked. It wasn't real time. And I was like, let me get this straight. What happens if the card doesn't work? Oh, well, then we call the number and then we find out the customer's name and we call them and then we figure out how to, and I'm like, but what if I just put a fake name and a fake number? And they were like, well, that's a crime. And I was like, ding, I'm totally doing this. <laughs> so I did that. I ordered pizza for the whole school and then they tried to throw my friend down the wormhole for it. So I had to cop to it. And what happened was the FBI, the police couldn't do anything because they couldn't figure out how it was done and they had no evidence. The FBI came and went, you know, this credit card is, matches the name of a woman in Florida. So this could be a federal crime. And I said, I made up the number. And they were like, oh, well, what, tell us more. And I was like, only if I don't get in trouble. So the school resource officer was like, I, now you need an attorney, FYI. Never talk to the cops if you're accused of a crime. But n back then, the school resource officer was like, look, this is a bullshit prank. You know, and the FBI guy's like, I know, I'm wasting my time with this, but we do need to figure out how this happened. So I tell the guy how it happened and he goes, you know, you're too smart for this crap. Why don't you just stop? And I went, but I love all this stuff. And he's like, uh, okay, well, tell us how you're cloning cell phones, you know, programming cell phones. So then I started helping the FBI with that. And that was how I started getting into helping the cops with this, that, and the other thing. And that was before, that was before the pedo thing. Oh, so man. I had already spoken to the FBI. My mom was like, you're, our son sucks. You know, he keeps getting in trouble. But then once I started catching pedos, she's like, thank God, he's on the right side of the law. Well, you have a serious so, history with the FBI. It's quite interesting. I do. I almost became an FBI agent, and then I found out how much they make. That was another reason I went to law school, is I was like, well, the FBI hires accountants, and they hire lawyers. That's primarily it. Interesting. Or at least oh, it was back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. None of this is on your LinkedIn. It's weird. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I, when I was looking at the drop down, I was like, where's the thing that says pedo snatcher? I don't exactly. see it. <laughs> oh man. All right. So let's So you started podcasting then. Cause I'm really curious cause I, I haven't interviewed, I mean, I've interviewed Cal Fussman and a few and Chase Jarvis as well, like other people that have podcasts, but we never really got into just the podcasting world and you're just such a, a staple in that world. So I really want to chat a little bit about like, not the, not the logistics, Any, anyone can search that, but I mean, more of the mental aspect behind it. Like, you know, when you're interviewing someone and for you, you know, it's someone that's, you're trying to line up for who knows how long they're, they're really significant to you and like shit's going around, like things aren't working. Like, it, you, like how, how are you remaining calm and like, what are some of the things that you're doing to just keep your, your stuff together in high profile situations like that? Um, can you clarify the question? I'm not sure I even understand. Like, I, I guess yeah. probably yeah, it's just, a little unclear. Yeah, fair. It was a bit long winded. I, I guess what I'm saying is like, you've been doing this for so many years, right? And you've interviewed a lot of really mm -hmm. awesome people. And I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, when things aren't going as planned, for example, right? If you're, if, if you're not doing it in your studio, you're somewhere else. And like, you know, if there's a time commitment, like whatever, there's so many things that people don't realize that can and go wrong during these recordings i guess like what are you doing what what do you do on a frequent basis just to keep things together in those moments like are you doing anything for your mind are you meditating are you doing any type of mental fitness stuff to just like kind of keep yourself in check to handle situations like that uh no i just usually stress out and throw <laughs> little temper tantrums and stuff i mean i go to the gym and i walk a lot but no i don't handle stress well i think a lot of people probably do but i never have really okay no interesting so okay well let's i mean i'll step back then um just going yeah back. no i wait like i wish i could be like yeah i meditate and uh you know i run every day but here's the thing i go to the gym sometimes and i also i i don't like, I don't even know what to say. I walk a lot outside, but I'm usually reading and prepping for the show. But no, I, I feel like if I rest, I fall behind. I can't relax. You don't want to be 
you don't want to like model your lifestyle after me, you know? Well, interesting. So how's it changed with, and maybe it hasn't changed, but there's definitely like you, you just had a baby, right? That, which is a pretty massive yeah. introduction into anyone's life or anyone that's listening. That's a parent. Um, like what have you been doing for that? Cause like you're almost forced, right? There's not much, there's certain situations that like, you can't just be going a thousand miles. Like you got to stop at one point or slow down or um, almost yeah. forced, right? Yeah. I <laughs> suppose I that's Jen? true. <laughs> yeah. You should ask my wife, Jen. So it's funny. Cause yeah, everyone goes, I hope you took some time off. And I was like, uh, no, I'm not doing that. And they're like, Oh, you're crazy. You need to take time off. Da, 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 da. I'm like, no, I, what I need to do is I'm usually the guy who's like, I need to optimize my system a little bit more. So one of the things that we're doing, I work with my wife too. And she's like, I can do everything. And I'm like, no, you can't. Everyone says we need to take time off. You need to hire help. She's like, no, I can do everything. So now she realizes she can't do everything. So we're hiring an assistant. We've had a hell of a time finding someone because we're not trying to hire remote. We're trying to hire around here. And there's okay. in Silicon Valley, there's like two kinds of people. Or there's several kinds, of course, but there's a couple kinds of people we've run into. People who want $60 an hour because they want to go to Japan and how dare you not pay them what they need rather than what they're worth, which is 20 bucks an hour. Um, <laughs> and then there's other people that are like, I would love to do this. I can do this at the rate that you want. Let me know. Um, do I have a company car? Where's my parking space? Where's the office? And I'm like, yeah, you're working out of my kitchen. And they're like, uh, I was the assistant to Jack Dorsey at Stripe, so I really don't want to do that. You know, I'm looking for more of a collegial environment. How many employees do you have? And I was like, well, you technically would be the only one. And they're like, yeah, I'm going to have to pass on this. Um, I want stock options. I was like, not going to, not a real thing with my company. <laughs> so, so like, you know, and, and cause I'm offering like really competitive salary. I mean, it's competitive is to say the least I'm overpaying for what I'm going to get. Okay. Yeah. But I'm willing to do that because it is expensive around here and I want a rock star and I'm trusting them with my kids. So I've actually sort of flipped from, I need an assistant to what I need is a nanny. That's going to also kind of be a housekeeper that can take all of that stuff out of my wife's hands and do it. But you run into these weird clashes and stop me if I go on a tangent here, but my wife, she's uh, Thai, well, she's American, but she's Taiwanese, you know, Chinese. So her mom is like, no, you're lazy if you don't cook, clean, do the dishes, do the laundry. And I'm like, Jen, your time is worth like a hundred plus dollars an hour to me. Let's pay sure. someone 25 to do all that other stuff that you hate doing anyway. And she's like, no, my mom thinks I'm lazy now. And I'm like, your mom doesn't run a multi seven figure business. Your mom works for another company and is working till 9 PM or 11 PM every night. Like she doesn't get it. You know, yeah, you're yeah. tired. So I have to be really careful and sort of put, it's weird. A lot of guys are like, I put my foot down in the marriage and I'm like, about what? And they're like this, that, and the other thing. And I'm like, I put my foot down in the marriage too about hiring my wife and assistant because she's really industrious and works too hard. And they're like, yeah, I don't have your problems. You know, so <laughs> not, not that their wives are lazy. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm saying like most people don't work with their wife in the house at a home business. That's very yeah. rare. And, um, so it's, it's a family business in a lot of ways. And so I've had to find, I, I literally, I sat down the other day, if you want to do like a business tip, I sat down the other day and I made a huge ass list of everything that I do that could theoretically be done easily by somebody else with minimal training. And it turns out every entrepreneur does this. They go, there's like nothing I can outsource. Oh, well, this is too fast. <laughs> yeah. I can just do it myself. And so me and Jen sat down and th did that. And we, when we went, oh, that's fast enough, I can do it. I was like, well, what if we could just hire someone and they were magically able to do it without any training? You know, not a complicated task. It's just that I didn't have to spend the day training them. Sure. Turns out there's a whole lot of stuff that we could outsource. And so I, got, I had a huge list where I previously thought I would have nothing for them to do. And... Yeah. It turns out that that not my wife goes, oh, well, that's still only like that's like an hour a day. And I was like, do you realize what that means, though? An extra hour a day, because that includes switching costs. It's actually more than an hour a day. And it also includes switching costs or it doesn't include switching costs. So, you know, like when you're working on your email and then you realize the dishwasher rang. So you got to empty it or the you got to put the stuff in the dryer like that costs you. I've timed it like 20 minutes. Because you go and you do it and that takes five minutes, but then you sit down and you're like, where was I? It can take 15 to 20 minutes to come back from that. And science yeah. proves that out. So having someone else do all that stuff and it not taking up any cognitive load 
is huge. And that is something that I came to. And then now I have to convince my wife to do it. And she's finally coming around. But it's, you know, it's taken a lot of trips to the post office for her to go, why the hell am I still doing this BS? Yeah. You know, so I've, I've optimized that element of my life rather than be like, I need a vacation. I don't need a vacation. I need to focus on what makes me happy creatively because that's what doesn't feel like work. The stuff that feels like work is, yeah, going to the UPS store to pick up a package. Why am I doing that? Why am I doing that? Totally. But this is kind of a little bit of my point on just trying to pull out, like essentially what, what resulted into in, in this list or this, this whole, you know, process that you're talking about is just taking a bit of time to, to slow down. Right. And, and reflect a bit. It just reminds me Ryan holiday, just his book stillness just launched or, or, or was released. And it's just, it's all about this. Right. It's like, especially in today's world, there's so much going on. There's so many things happening that if you don't slow down a bit and take a bit of time, um, like you, you, you just wouldn't get to that list, right? It's just you're going to keep going on that autopilot. So these are, these are the type of things, like I'm glad you brought this up just because it's practical, right? It's not, yeah. yeah, I get up at four in the morning and meditate until the sun comes up, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it, it's practical in that people will actually do it. So what I encourage people to do, and I know like I should have done this before, but the thing is I had my wife as my assistant before, so I kind of did do this. I just gave all these tasks to my wife. But the problem is my wife was taking care of the house. She was taking care of me. She was also working the business. And then we had a baby and it was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> There's now there. And then it was like, hey, how's the social media? I haven't done it for eight weeks because I haven't slept in eight weeks. If you bug me about this, I'm going to stab you with a chopstick. <laughs> you know, that, that was kind of like a real conversation we basically had. And I went, well, this can't just not get done. So then I thought I needed to hire a different assistant, whereas it turns out I actually need to hire like a nanny who can keep the house. And then it, that takes a bunch of stuff off of me and my wife. And then we can both focus on our core competencies. No big secret here. You hire people to do things that, that are not your core value to your sure. business. No big secret there. The secret is realizing that you should do that even if you think you have time to do all the other stuff. Because mm -hmm. yes, it costs you money, but there's some joy in finishing work at 4 p.m. and then being like, I don't have anything else to do. Because even if you're a workaholic like me, what do you do? You sit down and go, you know, it would grow us a bunch. This, that, and the other thing. Well, I don't really, well, I guess I could do that now. Oh, wow. Well, I'm done with, I'm just cut out an hour sure. a day. So now I can work on it during that time. Oh, that book you never thought you could write? Actually, you totally have time to write that book. You know, you completely have time to do it because you can dedicate 90 minutes a day because you're not emptying the laundry, going to get the mail, cleaning out the dishwasher. You're not delegating. You're not working on transcripts. You're not proofreading anything. Like all of this stuff, you add a step in sort of the delegation downline, right? Where you can, in the, in the hierarchy of the company, where now all the things I had to check, my wife can now check. And all of the things that, that she was doing that were sort of menial tasks, someone else can now do, which leaves you free for higher order stuff. And I don't just mean higher order stuff in the, in the obvious sense where it's like, oh yeah, of course, now you can write your book. It's like higher order stuff. Like there's a magic that happens when you're walking outside and you have nothing else to do and you go, how am I going to kill this time? Cause I'm a workaholic. I need to figure out how to fill this time. You come up with either busy work that you then delegate because you don't want to do it. Or you go, huh, you know, I could probably build a product for this and sell it. And then you actually have time to do that. And then dot, 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 you've just added seven figures to your revenue stream. And you're like, wow, that wouldn't have happened. But I would have, I would have saved 40 grand a year or 60 grand a year on an assistant, but it wouldn't have added 20 times that to my bottom line because you don't have the mental space to even come up with it. Your brain isn't even thinking about how to grow your business. It's thinking about treading water. Love that. That's so true. It's it's like, I often kind of ref, uh, refer to that too, because everyone understands just living a minimalistic life in the physical world, 
right? right. Just uh, right. decluttering, but no one ever really talks about, well, if you, if you imagine what your mind looks like, like is that room jammed floor to ceiling with boxes and there's no path, which typically the answer is yes. Right. Yeah. So, but we think of it as a, a luxury that we don't necessarily need. Like, Oh, there's entrepreneurs are no stranger to this. And I'm sure you're, you're on the same page, right? Um, there's this feeling where someone goes, I can do this, so I should. And it's like, well, I can make these little Instagram videos for social because there's an app and it's on my phone and it takes like 10 minutes to do and I'll just do one a day, so I should do that. No, you really shouldn't because those little 10 minute tasks turn into 15, 20 minute tasks. They generate a little bit of frustration and then by like 1 p.m. you've done all this BS you haven't started creating yet or doing the important stuff. Yeah. And even if, you're, if you have, you're burned out because you did an Instagram post, then you wrote a newsletter, and then you added all your people to your email, and you kept in touch with some friends, and then you answered your customers' questions and the customer support thing. Like, you should hire someone else to do that because quality of life trumps money. So if you have an extra 40 grand to invest in your retirement, that's great. But if you spend that money and then you live your current days almost like you're retired, but you're building your business, it's better. I argue it's better. As long as you're hitting minimal goals, like you don't want to retire with no money. But yeah. if you retire with $10 million, but you worked your butt off and now you're ragged, it's, I would say that's suboptimal comparing to retire with $5 million, but you like lived your days out, you feel really purposeful and relaxed and you want to keep working. There's a huge difference there in economics and in everything else. And so for me, I didn't realize this because of course I believed, no, you shouldn't do it just because you can. On the other hand, you should outsource literally anything that you can. Um, and I, not to sound Tim Ferriss-y, right? I was where it's say, like, it's <laughs> Tim Ferriss. Yeah. And, and it, there's a, there's a whole thing where he's like, I'm an outsource my dating life. Like all that stuff, it gets ridiculous. But what he's trying to do is illustrate a certain point here. Yeah. which I just now I'm starting to realize it's not about doing less work. And it's not even just about having more time in the day to let's say, oh, I can write more on my book if I don't worry about where I'm going to travel because someone's making those plans. Like that's nice. That's great. Especially if you're a writer and you're a creator, you need that. There's something else about just not worrying about the minutia of life that opens up your brain in a certain way that it's, it's hard for me to explain what it is, but it is, it's extremely valuable not to have to worry about that sort of stuff. It's, it has a value that's beyond just adding time to your day. Does this make sense? It, well, I was just going to say, I can totally, I mean, we can hear it in the voice. Like this is lighting you up. This is definitely something that, you know, it's obviously a fairly recent kind of uh, hot spot in your life. So I feel like there's yeah. just more of this to come, which is, which is exciting. Yeah. So, so now it's like hire a nanny, take that off my wife's hands. And then I realized, well, wait a minute, I'm hiring a nanny and now my wife can do all this admin stuff. We should hire a nanny and she should have an assistant that way. Yeah. If she wants to make a baby book with a bunch of photos, she's not like, well, I'll do it right after I upload video to YouTube. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That baby book is going to matter in 50 years. Mm -hmm. What's certainly not going to matter is the video we uploaded to YouTube. So any time taken away from somebody who cares more about you, your business, your family, whatever, your kids, it's really something you should outsource, even if it puts a dent in your retirement, even if it puts a dent in your, the, the fancy vacation you could have taken. It's better to have that time because you can't really buy more time. I mean, that sounds trite, and I'm really trying hard not to sound trite, but you can't buy that, okay, you can't buy the cognitive bandwidth that comes with outsourcing that stuff. You know, you, you just can't. That's why when you have a really good assistant, and they cost 80 grand a year, and everyone goes, you're overpaying by 30 grand, you're ridiculous, how stupid are you? It doesn't matter, because you can trust that person with your kid, right? That is a level of trust that's worth the extra money. Yeah, totally. It's all about what's, it's, it's about your level of, it's like a baseline level of stress in your brain that is there every day. And it matters. And I didn't know this. It's, it's a thing that matters. It's not just, oh, I don't have to upload videos to YouTube anymore. It's, yes, we're late. Oh my gosh, the kids are going to be home from school and we're not there yet. That's okay. Nancy, our admin, who knows them just as well as any family member, is going to be there. They're going to be fine. She's going to make them some food. She's also handling all the urgent email, all the phone calls. You know, this is a person that is, is essentially looking out for you the whole time. And like, you can't 
underestimate what that does for you creatively if you're a creator and you also can't really underestimate what that does for you as any sort of high performer. I'm, uh, I'm about to interview Steven Schwartzman from Blackstone. Hmm. Uh, he's a, one of the wealthiest men in the world. I think he's worth like 17.8 billion or something crazy. Just crazy. Wow. And he's got a bunch of staff, including a housekeeper who was tragically murdered actually um, in New York. And he, there's this whole New York Post article where he's quoted about how she's a part of the family and everything. And I, I remember I started asking when I was doing my research about her. And it, it's just this person who's like this Filipino woman who lived with them for 30 years. Wow. Right. So she's clearly not just the person that cooks and does the dishes. And the family was doing all this recollecting in sort of a public forum in the New York Post and elsewhere about her. And they're like, yeah, she did this when I was sick and had a pregnancy and she would come over and then she did this and she came in in a pinch when this happened. And there's all these things they listed and I just went, ooh, that's something you really can't buy. They have a, f a family member that's dedicated to their life and comfort. Yeah. And totally. that, it, that opens up possibilities for you that you, you just cannot, you just can't really, un you, you can't overestimate the value of this. There's, there's such high value in having that bandwidth freed up in your mind. It allows for possibility that wasn't there before. That's beyond just having more time. Well, I think what some, you, you had a line in there that removing the baseline level of stress from your mind, I think that really sums it up really well that I think most of us can understand that. Um, but the thing is with it, like, like anything, you know, you have to individually go through everyone's stories different or, or days different, right? Like figure out what, what is that base level of stress, figure that out and then start, you know, shipping that out in your case, well, you know, a nanny that can do social sounds like it would be a great, yeah, a great I mean, mix. I, I know that I'm like, I almost feel like I'm rambling and going off on a tangent here, but I'm trying really hard to illustrate a point. I'm just not doing a good job. So what I mean by this is it's not just a nanny that can do social. Like what I would strongly recommend people do is write down not just what they think they can outsource, write down everything they do throughout the day. Take a week and do this. It's going to be a pain because you're going to get up and be like, well, I made coffee. Literally write down like, I can go through mine actually if it helps. Um, I'll go through like a half day because there's hundreds of things on here obviously that I do all the time. Yeah. But it's like, what, what, would that be helpful or is this just so boring yeah, yeah. now that you no, want to move on? Okay. No, no, I think give an example half day or, or your morning, for example. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go through like a brief morning. So it's like, wake up, uh, make sure my baby is okay, obviously. Um, yeah, then the child's alive. Yep, shut the door, make coffee. Uh, I then maybe throw some toast in the toaster if I'm going to eat breakfast and like put some nut butter on it or I eat something, right? I try, if, it depends if I'm hungry or not. Then I look at my calendar for the day, make sure I know when my first thing is. I've done that the night before, but you know, whatever. I look at my calendar again. I look for urgent email. There's this whole never check email in the morning or you're on someone else's agenda. It's such BS. <laughs> Don't check your customer service inbox in the morning, maybe if, if that's a thing, but certainly check and see what your team needs on Slack, et cetera. I've got Todoist and I check these tasks and those change every day. But like, for example, today on there is study Chinese vocabulary make sure that my Chinese lessons are scheduled, proofread an article from my writing team, update my MacBook because there's a bunch of new stuff, uh, text Ryan Holiday uh, about something that very nice. coincidental that you'd mentioned it. Um, <laughs> <Book> is awesome. <laughs> do a post on Instagram with Dennis Rodman who was just on the show. Uh, make sure that Southwest Airlines something, something, something that you don't care about with my credit card. And then that was like the first maybe two hours or hour. that's like the first hour of my morning. And you're thinking, who gives a crap? Well, turns out the coffee can be outsourced to somebody who works here. So can the breakfast if necessary. Uh, the credit card thing that can be done by an admin because it's literally just checking something online, making yeah. sure the accounts are linked. If they're not linked, she has to call. That's cool. I'm sitting right there. She can wait on hold. I can always go, Hey, I'm here. Here's my social or whatever. Uploading that thing, uh, texting Ryan holiday, something I would do on my own, of course, uh, re updating my MacBook Pro can be done by an admin. Uh, doing the Instagram post can be done. But these are all things I would have just done myself. Mm -hmm. But I didn't think about outsourcing them because they were so stupid and trivial. But then when I had to write all of them down, then I went through my whole week and I just sort of highlighted things that were things that I, 
I didn't really have to do myself. Not that I couldn't, not that it didn't make sense for me to do them, just that somebody else in theory could do them. And then it was like, well, wait a minute. Most of the things I do during the day could be done by somebody else. So let's just find somebody that doesn't object to doing those things. That's when you realize, holy crap, I'm wasting a ton of time. And some people will counter, oh, but isn't making coffee part of your morning routine and relaxing? You know, it would be great. I wake up and I just start studying my Chinese vocabulary while somebody brings me coffee and toast. And then when I, I'm done eating, I go outside for a walk and I'm reading an audiobook. That certainly sounds better than uploading a video and mm-hmm. sending a text and calling Chase Bank to make sure my car. But you never think to outsource that stuff. You don't think about it because well, it's so yeah. small. Well, and you're just, you're on the autopilot of the day, right? So it, it, it's so, it's super valuable. I'm, I'm glad, thanks for sharing that. Because I mean, it sounds obvious though, when you read that list, it's like, okay, like I could probably highlight that for you. It's, oh, right. But until you do it, right? It, it's That's, not obvious. Yes, yes, it's not obvious. And this is the thing, I spent years being like, I can make a list of things that are outsourced. And it was like, uh, check <laughs> customer service emails. Oh, I can't think of anything. Oh, upload social media. Yeah. Cool. That's it. I only have two things. I don't need an assistant. I only have two things. And then it's like, oh, go break down the boxes in the garage. Well, somebody else can sure as hell do that. Oh, dishes. Okay. Of course we're going to outsource that. Hey, Jordan, could you take out the garbage? Well, actually, you know, oh, <laughs> hey, um, we didn't get a PDF galley of Mike Rowe's new book. Oh, well, I have this paper galley. If, there, if only there were a way to get this in the computer. There is. Somebody's got to take the binding off and scan it. That's something somebody else can do. Uh, hold on, I got to charge my camera batteries and my mixer batteries because I'm going to interview so and Peter Thiel. Cool. Uh, oh, well, I don't have to charge those batteries. That can be someone else's job. Hey, did you upload the audio and the video from the last podcast to Google Drive? Well, I would have, but that's somebody else's job now too. So yeah. all of these things start happening when you write down what you're doing. But if you just ask me, what can I outsource? The answer is, nah, nothing. Yeah, or like yeah, two yeah. things. I'm not going to hire an assistant just to go to the post office. I don't need to hire someone just to go to the grocery store. You're not doing that. You're hiring somebody to do all the crap that wastes all your cognitive bandwidth and time. And it is glorious. Love it. I love it. Well, thank you for, for sharing that, man. I appreciate that. That is super helpful. It's probably going to be something related to the t- podcast title of this episode, actually. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a good one. Um, I want to respect your time. So I'm going to, I'm going to start wrapping up. I'll just, I'll leave you with sure. one question. Um, and it's just, you know, like what's, what's really lighting you up these days? Like, what are you looking forward to over the next few months? I mean, I, I sort of live for doing the show, the Jordan Harbinger show. Like I, I've got so many cool guests coming up. I'm obsessed with the quality of the interviews and making it as high as possible. So I've got some tricks up my sleeve there. I'm getting coaching from some really cool people. Oh, nice. I'm always getting coaching from people. So I've, I've reached out to some, I guess, famous broadcasters and inter- interviewers. And I was like, I don't suppose I could sort of talk you into helping me out with this. I'm trying to become the best in the world at it. And like, everyone's been like, sure, which is wow. shocking. I thought they'd be like, I'm on the Today Show, bitch. I'm not helping yeah, you. Exactly. You know, like I, I thought, and they were like, oh, sure. When are you coming to New York? And I was like, wait, what? Uh, next week. You know? Yeah. So, so there's that. But there is my kid, you know, he's eight weeks old. So I'm every day. I'm like, Oh my God, did he just try to talk? Oh, he's smiling more. You know, that stuff is so exciting. So now the whole purpose, the whole show is taken on almost like a new, it's taken on a little bit of a new energy because now I'm building something that's not just for me and the listeners, but I've got this new member of my family coming in and Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's hard to explain unless you have kids. Yeah. Well, it's just, it, it's just a new perspective, right? Or a different perspective. And it, it, yeah. right, it is hard to explain, but super yeah. cool. I mean, it's, it's, it sounds like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously a listener of the show and like, it's, it's just been fun to follow your journey and your style is, is super unique, which is fun to watch and, and listen to. Um, so I'm pumped to see what's coming next. And then seeing these, this whole integration in some, not saying that your son's going to be hosting the podcast, but just seeing like how that's, you know, going to start rippling into your life. Right. Yeah. Well, it's funny you should say that because I was talking to Jen and I was like, you know, when he's like nine years old, we can teach him how to clean up audio because it's really just a bunch of clicks. It's like you, you know, we can teach them how to take out the SD card, put it in the computer, copy the file over, import it into 
our audio editor, run our plugin suite over it, upload it to Google Drive and send it to the editor. There's no reason his chores have to be mow the lawn, Yeah. right? His chores can be make sure all the batteries are charged in my camera gear and in my audio gear. Yeah. yeah, Like that's, so I'm looking forward to that because it's like, hey, the family business, all the other kids are like, oh man, I had to shovel my driveway. And he's like, oh man, I had to charge all these batteries and upload all this audio and all his friends are going to look at him like, what planet are you from? Yeah. Where your allowance is like, (laughs) how are you earning your allowance by editing an Adobe audition? Like what is that? Who are you? (laughs) I'm kind of excited for that. Super cool. Well, I'm wishing you and Jen and everyone um, the best working on the show and everything uh, to come. want to thank you, obviously, for taking some time to speak with me. Um, sure. But also just, uh, you know, a general thanks to what you do every day. Um, you know, you're putting some really awesome content and different perspectives out there from what you're drawing from your guests. And it's super helpful for all of us. So thanks for doing that. You're welcome, man. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yes, you made it to the end of the conversation. Thank you so much for sticking around. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Jordan. And if you did, please leave us a review or a comment wherever you're listening. It makes such a huge difference in the visibility of the show. So thank you for taking any time to do that. And stick around. We've got many more conversations um, in the pipe to release. So lots of exciting stuff to come. Take care.